Well, if you will, please take a copy of God's Word and turn to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. This morning we're looking at verses 28 through 40. Today is Palm Sunday. The day we celebrate Christ's triumphal entry as King into Jerusalem. And we read today from Luke chapter 28, the Word of the Lord. And when he, Jesus, had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. So God, we do thank you for your word, and we pray that as we look at it this morning that you would help us to understand it, and that we would leave this place changed, spiritually grown. Show us those areas we need to repent. Remind us of your mercy and grace. Move in the hearts of those who don't know you. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You know, well, things have been coming to a head for quite some time. For three years now, Jesus has been traveling around in places like Galilee, Judea, the Decapolis, Perea, and Samaria. And he had been calling people to faith and repentance, and as he proclaimed the good news of the coming of the kingdom of God. You know, a lot of attention had been brought to Jesus. The things that he had done really got everyone's attention. And, and though they didn't have Twitter and Facebook, three years is a long enough time for word to get out about what he had been up to. What, what had he been doing? Well, he had been bringing the dead to life and casting out demons and forgiving sin and making the blind to see. And those who had been lame from their birth, he, he brought them to full healing, mind, body, and soul. He, he had been eating with prostitutes and sinners. People called him a drunkard. Crowds followed him wherever he went. You better believe that if someone like that came to Bruton, word would get out. And it certainly got out then. Things had been coming to a head for a while. As some people responded to him with hatred. The Jewish leadership wanted to see him dead, as we saw others believe in his name as they are healed, or saw those who were healed, and, and yet others who just wanted to be fed, who liked it when he fed the crowds, or liked the thrill of something exciting 
happening. People were having different reactions to him. But throughout all their reactions, throughout his ministry, Jesus has been in in charge of the timetable. You know, we're never really in charge of our own timetables. We, We have our own plans, but we don't really have any sovereignty over our lives, and we can't change what other people do, and a lot of times I have trouble just changing how I react. But, but here is the king who has been traveling and preaching and ministering for the last three years, and he's been in charge from the very beginning. Even when in John 6 we see that the crowds wanted to make him king, while at the same time the Herodians were seeking a way to kill him. See, both of those things would happen, just not then. But they're going to happen this week. As Jesus the king enters into his city, the city of his people, they accept him as king on on this Sunday, the first day of the week. And he will be crowned, but he'll be crowned on Friday, while at the same time he dies. But our king is the one, though crowned and killed at the same time, he is the one who's been in charge from the very beginning, and he is in charge of all things. My friends, it's good news that we celebrate Palm Sunday, the coming of the king, because we need a king. Why do we need a king like Jesus? It's because we have enemies. This morning, we will look at the three enemies that Christ has come and defeated and continues to defeat. Satan, our sin, and our sinful selves. But first, let's look at the text and see what has happened. Beginning all the way back in Luke chapter 9, there is a shift in Jesus' ministry. In Luke chapter 9, we see this shift where he is going to really stop, not meandering, I don't mean that, but but he is going to begin his, his journey with intent back towards Jerusalem. Luke 9 verse 51, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now in excuse me, chapter 19, we, we see his entry into Jerusalem. Since he had set his face towards Jerusalem, we've seen him go through Samaria and Perea, which is to the east of the Jordan River. Then he arrives back in Jericho as we get closer and closer to the events of Holy Week. And remember in Jericho, he, he meets a man named Blind Bartimaeus, whom he heals and who then follows Jesus on his way. And also in Jericho, on the far other extreme of the social ladder, we see a chief tax collector, someone who is in charge of extorting people from their money for the whole region. We see him forgiven and become a disciple of Christ. His name was Zacchaeus, and he too follows. Well, they will then arrive um, in Bethany, where Jesus will spend quality time with his friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, whom he had recently raised from the dead. A lot's going on here, isn't it? He will spend Friday night and Saturday, the Sabbath, with his friends there. And on Saturday night, the three siblings threw a party for him. And Mary would even anoint him with that precious perfume worth an entire year's wage. What a night that must have been for Jesus. The night really before it was all to begin, that hurling towards the cross. Though he had told his people time and time again that he would soon die and then be raised on the third day, they didn't really understand. It's a time of feasting and celebration, a bit of a respite before the Holy Week 
began. Well, Palm Sunday. Today, the first day of the week. It finally arrives and Jesus gets out of bed. And he tells two of his disciples to go into the village in front of them, probably Bethphage. And he tells them to go and to get a colt so that he might ride into town upon it. Now, it's not that Jesus was tired and tuckered out. This is a man who's been walking for three years, and, and he will soon ride this donkey from the Mount of Olives down to Jerusalem. Now, I'm geographically challenged in Bruton, Alabama. But for those who are geographically challenged with the landscape of Israel, the Mount of Olives was about the distance from here to Jennings Park, from the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem. It's not very far. Someone who had been walking for three years, it's not like he, he finally needs a ride. No, see, this is, this is all staged. Not staged as, as, as if it is fake. I mean, it's been planned. It's been planned for over a thousand years, as revealed in Scripture and since the beginning of time, before that, in all of eternity. See, there's something going on here. See, when it was time for the king to arrive, he had to come in a special way. We see this in two texts from the Old Testament. The first is Psalm 118, verse 26. It was part of our call to worship, and we see it referenced here in our text. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. See, each year during the, each year during the years of the Davidic kings in the Old Testament, they would have this re-coronation ceremony uh, every year. The king would be re-crowned and re-coronated. And the way that worked was first he would ride on a donkey from the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem. Sound familiar? And second, the crowds would sing Psalm 118 as the king made his way down into Jerusalem. Now, that's what we have going on in our text today. Psalm 118 is referenced in verse 38. Everybody knew what was going on here. The king was coming and Jesus was claiming to be who he was, the true messianic king. Because here's the thing, even as they went through the coronation process year after year after year, this was not just celebrating their king, he was also looking forward to the true king who would come, the true king in the line of David, the Messiah. My friends, now is the time for his arrival. But there's another text from the Old Testament that tells us exactly how it happened. And it's the, the mode of transportation. Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The Holy Spirit, through the prophet Zechariah, had told of a day... When, when Jerusalem would rejoice because the king had arrived. Because the righteous and salvation-bearing Messiah, the king of kings and the lord of lords, would finally arrive. But he would not be riding a charger or a war horse. He would be riding on a donkey, an animal just used for peaceful purposes. And so this is what goes on on Palm Sunday. And so the Prince of Peace... The king of David, the Messiah, God himself, at the week of Passover nonetheless, asked two of his disciples to go into the village in front of them and to get the donkey. 
Now, Jesus knows of this donkey in Bethany that's tied up. We don't know how. Perhaps he just knows because he's God. Perhaps he had friends in Bethany or, uh, excuse me, Bethphage. And he knew they had a donkey. But as one commentator pointed out, just like Mary had never known a man and carried the king of the universe in her womb, and, and just like the tomb that would hold him had never been used before, soon he would sit on a colt who was unbroken, never used before. I, I don't spend a lot of time around donkeys, but I imagine it's not usually a smart thing to climb on one that's never had anyone sit on it. It's not good for your health. So he sends two disciples. By the way, we don't know who they were. It doesn't necessarily have to be one of his twelve. Perhaps, wouldn't it be awesome if it was Juan, Bartimaeus, and Zacchaeus? We don't know. The two of his disciples go in and they get the, uh, the donkey. Jesus anticipates the objections of the owners. I mean, don't you know if someone showed up at your house trying to take your ride away from you, you might have something to say about it? And so they say, hey, what you doing with tying, untying my donkey? They say, well, the Lord needs it. And apparently they say, okay. Perhaps they even followed to see what was going on. Well, when the disciples and the donkey arrive back to Jesus, apparently now at the Mount of Olives, they put their robes on the back of the donkey. It's kind of a throne, making it comfortable for sure. But soon they will set him up there, like you would set someone on a throne. Everybody knows what's going on. This is not a joyride. This is staged. This is planned. This is choreographed. And it has been for centuries. People have been waiting for this day for a long, long time. Well, I've used this illustration, I think, just about every Palm Sunday I've ever preached, and I'll continue to use it. But what, what would happen at the end of the service if you went outside and you saw a 30, 40 uh, car motorcade? And there were helicopters in the air, and every intersection had been blocked off, not just by Bruton police and East Bruton police, but the Flominton police and the Atmore police. And, and the state troopers showed up, and people were lined up and down the road. And in the middle of this, this motorcade, with all these helicopters and ambulances and SWAT team members, there's this large seven-ton Cadillac limousine with a presidential flag flapping on the hood. Would you know who that person is? I bet you could probably figure it out. Right? Or, or, or if you looked up in the sky and there was Air Force One, very distinctive paint job with, with three F-16s on the sides. Do you, do you think we know who that is? Of course we would, right? That's the kind of recognition that we miss from this text. They knew what was going on. They knew that Jesus was claiming to be the Christ, the true Messiah, and guess what? They're all about it. They begin to accept him and praise him. Psalm 118, 26 here is recorded. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Mark and Matthew tell us that the crowds are crying out, Hosanna, which literally means God save us. God save us. But it had become a term like we would say, Hallelujah, praise God. They are worshiping the Lord as they accept this king and his arrival into his city. Well, the king had come and the crowds were excited. My friends, why is it good news? Why is it good news? Why should we celebrate Palm Sunday? 
it's pretty exciting. We have a meal downstairs soon and an egg hunt for the kids, and there'll be candy, and your kids won't take naps this afternoon. It's a fun day. But why celebrate it? My friends, it's because we need a king like Jesus. We need a king like Jesus. They did in the first century, even though many, by the end of this week, will be crying out, we have no king but Caesar. My friends, we need a king like Jesus. First, we must say that Jesus is king whether we accept him as king or not. It's much like the president with Trump and now Biden. It doesn't matter if you voted for him or, or not. Uh, he is or was your president if you're a citizen of this country. Guess what? If you're a part of creation, then guess what? Jesus is your king whether you accept him or not. But Jesus has come. Jesus has come, and our king has come, and it is good news for us because, my friends, we need a king. Because we have enemies. Very quickly, I'd like to look at three of these enemies of Satan, sin, and sinful self. First, we should rejoice that our king has come because he came to defeat Satan and to rescue us from his dominion and control. Pretty sure there's a bird out in the narthex, isn't there? Sounds like a monkey. Yeah, it sounds like a bird. I just wanted to say it so we could all acknowledge it, because uh, we're all thinking it, right? Uh, those in the fellowship hall are missing a lot of excitement. Um, all right, so what are we talking about? Jesus and our king. Why do we need a king like Jesus? Well, one, because we have an enemy in Satan. There was a strong man who needed to be bound. Before we were in Christ, we were under the power and control of the evil one. Did you know that? That if you're not in Christ, you are under the control, according to Ephesians chapter 2, the prince of the power, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Colossians chapter uh, 1.13 tells us that, that we were once in the domain of darkness, under the control and power and authority. And there's nothing that we can do of ourselves to rescue us from this strong enemy of Satan. But praise God, we have a stronger king. The one who has come and who has defeated Satan. Did you know that Satan's been dealt a mortal blow? But we see this in the, when, in the wilderness when Jesus is tempted. And Satan gives it his best and Jesus withstands that temptation. At that moment, we can say Satan is defeated. We can say that he is defeated at the cross when Jesus receives in his body the due punishment for our sins. And we can certainly rejoice at the defeat of Satan on the third day when Christ raised, is raised from the dead. Y'all, we, we need to be delivered from the power of Satan. And if you're not in Christ, then you are under his power. But one has come. And now that he has come, Colossians 3.15 tells us he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. Praise God. And what happens to us when we become believers? Colossians 1.13-14 tells us that we are transferred. Our citizenship is transferred. We are rescued from the domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of Christ in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. My friends, we need a king, a strong king, to defeat our enemies. And first, we have Satan. He has been defeated. Second, we need a king who will deliver us from the power and guilt of our sin. 
I've said it before, but my favorite line in the Apostles' Creed is we believe in the forgiveness of sins. Praise God. All the rest is true. But without the forgiveness of sins, then we could not accept the truth of the rest of it. And it would not necessarily be good news to us. God is a God of second, fifth, twelfth, hundredth, millionth second chances, right? And our God, our God has come and he has defeated sin. See, we were once slaves to sin. It was, it was a power over us. In fact, Romans chapter 6 tells us that we were slaves to sin. Slaves to sin. But now that Christ has paid the price for our sin, and now that we as believers have received forgiveness from that sin, we have the truth of Romans 8.1, for there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Praise be to God. There is therefore now no, none, none, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you need to hear that this morning? That if you're in Christ, your sins really are forgiven. The past really is something that no longer exists. And he no longer remembers your sins as far as the east is from the west. So far has God removed our transgressions from us. And this is because our king came. Because sin is a big problem. And it took the coming, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the king in order to defeat such a strong enemy. Well, the third enemy that we have is one we continue to fight daily, right? Our sinful self. Oh, don't you ever have those thoughts and you think, wow, I can't believe I just thought that. Or, oh, I really wish I could stop thinking about this. Or those actions, or, or did I really just say that? Or, or Lord, deliver me from this temptation to whatever it is. See, our king continues to reign. See, he returned to heaven and he, now he, he continues his, earth, uh, excuse me, his heavenly ministry of reigning and ruling on behalf of his people and for the good of his church and for his glory. And he has sent his Holy Spirit to dwell within us so that through the Holy Spirit, our king might give us power to say no to sin. His grace really is sufficient for us. And his power is made perfect in our weakness. But how could this happen? Well, in order for this to happen, the king had to come and the king had to die. And this is what, one of the things that sets our true and triumphant and heavenly king apart from every other king. See, the crowds got it right. They just didn't realize it. When they, when they cried out, Hosanna, which means literally, God save us. It is a plea for salvation. How would this happen? Well, soon he would be crowned with thorns instead of gold. Instead of being fanned with palms, he would be whipped with cords. He would be pierced with nails instead of receiving the praise of his people. He would be rejected by the Romans and the Jews and the crowds and even many of his followers. And in, in the hours that confused all creation, he would cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did he go through all this? Because he loves you, the king of the universe who made all things and upholds all things by the word of his power, my friends, he did this because he loves you. 
Then on the third day, he rose again from the dead, triumphing over death and sin. That we who trust in him can know that our sins really are forgiven. You, you want to know how to be reminded that our sins really are forgiven? You look at the cross where they're paid for, and you look at the grave that it was empty, that God accepted his sacrifice and proclaimed before all creation that this is his beloved son. The king had to die, and the king rose on the third day. That's a spoiler alert. That's what we'll celebrate next week. Jesus doesn't stay in the grave. And he, he has an offer for you this morning. See, Christ is king whether we like it or not. He is a good king. And he offers salvation to all those who would trust in him. He says to those who are tired and weary and worn out, trying to save yourself, being wrapped up in the rat race of life, of salvation by good works, which doesn't work, by the way. He says, come to him, all who are weary, heavy burdens, right? You have a heavy burden, lay it on him. Come to him. His offer of entrance into his kingdom was costly to him, but free to you. He calls you to turn from your sin to ask him to forgive you and to submit yourself to him as your king. Because here's the thing, the king is coming back. The king is coming back. We don't know when it's going to come. Oh, wouldn't it be great if it was before lunch? The king's coming back, and when he does, he will come with a great trumpet fanfare. With the angels arrayed in all their glory with him. The dead will rise from their grave and, and time will end and God's people will dwell with him forever in the new heavens and new earth. But for those who have not bowed their knee before the Lord Jesus Christ as their king will spend eternity away from him in hell. But Jesus offers salvation. You're a king. Your king has come. May you accept him if you don't know him. But you might be able to pray with us, come King Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Let's pray. Our King Jesus, we thank you for the salvation that you have purchased for your people. And, O oh King Jesus, we pray that you would help us as we walk our daily lives, that we might live them in service to our King and not to ourselves. Help us daily to resubmit our lives to you. We thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. We ask these things in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. We don't have a closing prayer in unison this morning, but let me remind you as you go ahead and please stand for the benediction that we have the Palm Sunday lunch downstairs with Easter eggs, a hunt afterwards for the young children, so we do invite you to come and join us. But first receive the Lord's good word, his benediction to you. Grace to you and peace from him who is and was and is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.